0: We're gonna be mostly in the book of Acts today as we uh, introduce the new Discover Sherwood, what it means to be a member of this church, how we uh, measure maturity personally and corporately will be some in John 15. Uh, If you walked in and you noticed the new sign in the atrium and on the TVs behind me, this is where we're going, what we wanna be, what we wanna be about. You could call this a philosophy, a paradigm, a path, but it's the key to being a New Testament church. Now, this will live itself out in different ways with different age groups. Obviously, what we want to do with a three-year-old is different than a 13-year-old or a 33-year-old or a 63-year-old. It's going to have application in different ways. But over the last few years, I've been wrestling with how to describe Sherwood in the 21st century. What do we want to be? What do we want to be about? And this past February, all this began to come together for me as these are the things that we need to do relationally and corporately, individually and collectively, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be. So you're about to go through the new Discover Sherwood and at the end, uh, if you are not a member, I'm going to invite you to come and be a part of this church family if the Lord leads you to do that during our invitation time. Sherrod Baptist Church is pastor-led. That does not mean that it is pastor-dictated. It means that the pastor calls the staff, leads the church, sets the vision. It is deacon-served. Our deacons are not a board. They are, give counsel, they pray, they help us with ministry to widows, They are not elected, they are selected and approved by the deacon body. We are ministry team functioned. We have two ministry teams. When I came here, we had 68 committees. Now we have two ministry teams, personnel and finance. And we obviously have different teams within the rest of the ministries of the church, but those are the two primary ministry teams in the life of the church. We are congregationally approved once a year, we vote on a budget that gives us the parameters for our ministry, our vision for that year, how it's going to work out, what we're going to do. So we put all our cards on the table to tell you up front who we are so that there are no surprises. Now here's what we understand. We understand that Sherwood is not for everyone. There's no one-size-fits-all for churches. It may depend on what your needs or where you are at this point in your life, but Sherwood's not for everyone. The question is not, is, I, is Sherwood right for me? The question is, am I right for Sherwood, the DNA of this church, what we are about? We know that there's more than one way to do church. We don't think we have the only exclusive way to do church. It just works for us and it works well for us. Our strategy is relational. Everything we do rises and falls On prayer, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Prayer is the key to everything we do. It is not enough for us to talk about that. We must live that. And so here's the new path, if you will. Prayer leads us to love God, grow together, serve others, and change the world. You will see that prayer is at the center of all of that. That intimacy with Christ and our intimacy with God allows us to do these things in such a way that we know and love and glorify God in the way we do ministry. At the hub of this design is prayer. A church will never rise above her prayer ministry. Individuals may rise above the prayer ministry of the church but a church as a whole puts a lid on itself by how much it prioritizes prayer. Prayer is central to the Gospels and to the book of Acts. The one thing the disciples asked Jesus was not to teach them how to do miracles they said Lord teach us to pray and Jesus taught us how to pray. Then the book of Acts teaches us what a praying church does and it's electric, it's exciting, they love God, they were growing together, they were serving others and literally in a generation had touched the world with the gospel. Churches tend to fret about things that are not eternal. Programs and systems and methods, those are all secondary. But prayer is the lifeblood of of a church. It is the way the early church changed the world. And we want every member of this church to embrace these distinctives, that prayer leads us to love God, to grow together, to serve others, and to change the world. The first step on this pathway is to understand something that's very clear. Prayer is essential and not optional. Prayer is essential and not optional. Acts chapter 4, they lifted up their voices to God in one accord. When you read the book of Acts, you see in those early days of the church that they were of one heart and one mind. They had all things in common. They shared life together. Even as persecution began to grow, they moved closer and closer together. Six times in John 14 through 17, Jesus said, if you ask... I will do. Jesus told his disciples on the verge of his departure, you're going to have to ask for me to do some things. God's activity is tied to believing prayer. It is our responsibility to ask. It is God's responsibility to keep his promises. My responsibility is to ask, to pray and to ask God. It is God's responsibility to do what he said he will do to keep his promises. So when you look at the book of Acts, you see that the church was birthed, it was sustained, it was empowered in a prayer environment. Now my friend Doug Small helped me to understand a little bit of this in these three levels of praying church, and we've talked about this and for the last year or so, but there are three kinds of churches. The first is a church that prays in a crisis. An emergency comes up, a crisis comes up. There wasn't a church in America that did not pray on 9-11. There wasn't a church in Albany, Georgia that didn't pray when the storms came through in January of 2017. But left to ourselves, we will drift back to only praying in times of crisis an emergency. That means that prayer is not at the hub. It's not at the center of what the church is doing. It only reacts to crisis. Churches with a prayer ministry is a second kind of church or a level two. Those kind of churches are often detached. The prayer is detached or it is an afterthought. The church plans, prepares, puts a budget together, plans a calendar, and then says, Lord, would you just bless what we've just planned? Typically, bless what we've planned without consulting you. But it is detached from it. It doesn't drive the ministries of the church. It is a ministry of the church. But it's not the overwhelming hub of the life of the church. I would say at this point that we are at level two, trying to figure out what it means to be at level three. Level three, the praying church, that means prayer is at the center of all we do. Our ministries, our programming, what we put on the calendar, what we take off the calendar, what we do and why we do it is driven by a prayer environment where God says yes, or God says no, or God says wait. Intimacy with Christ, then drives our ministry. Doug Small said, the activity of his house is prayer, and the focus of that prayer is missional. It is for the nations, for a harvest out of every ethnic stream. You see in your notes a quote by E.M. Bounds, the church upon its knees would bring heaven upon the earth. Prayer is fundamental, it is foundational, it is essential, not optional. Secondly, prayer brings perspective. When I'm praying, I'm getting God's perspective because prayer and the Word are tied together. And when I pray to the God of heaven, I'm also praying understanding that He is the Lord of the church. He is the sovereign Lord. That means despot. He is the absolute authority in the life of the church. It's his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. And he is the head, and he is the ultimate ruler of the church. The self-revealing Lord. He's not only the sovereign Lord, he's the self-revealing Lord. God has revealed himself through the law and the prophets and ultimately, according to Hebrews chapter 1, through his Son. And so if God is sovereign, and if he is self-revealing, then I am to serve the one who is in charge. I'm to give myself to the one who is in charge. We are to say, Lord, our answer is yes. Now what is it you want us to do? Thirdly, a praying church loves God. So remember, prayer leads us to love God. Prayer leads us to love God. You see, if I love God, I want to talk to Him. I want to be in communication with Him. I want a a relationship with Him. I I don't just want, yeah, I know God. I want fellowship with Him. Prayer leads us to love God. And worship is a collective expression of our love for God. When we come together to worship God, it is a collective expression of how much we love God. So our singing, our praying, our responding, our interaction during the invitation, whatever it is, we bring our worship with us. And in our worship, privately, in our private devotions, and publicly in our worship, we show to anyone and everyone, we have a priority of loving God. And prayer bursts that. Number four, praying churches grow together. Praying churches grow together. So, here we are, and we're in this group, but we want people to be involved in small groups, in Bible studies. We have that on Sunday morning. Fellowship grows in a group setting, and we want everyone in our church to connect to a Bible study class. Why? That's where you get to know people. That's where you build relationships. Uh, I, was at, I was at an anniversary party last night, and guess who was there? A lot of people that were in those Sunday school classes. A lot of people that were connected by small groups. They were there because there were relationships built with one another. Bible study is phase one of discipleship. That's where we learn to be students of the Word of God. And we grow as a family, not in isolation. Now, yes, I'm growing as an individual, but we're also growing as a family. This is not to keep us busy and to make us stay one more hour. This is about relational development. Disciples are learners. And once disciples learn, disciples start discipling others and investing in others. Paul said to Timothy, The things that you have learned and heard and seen in me, these impart to faithful men who will teach others also. Now, that verse in 2 Timothy 2.2 is at least four generations. And we have Bible study from birth to the next step is the funeral home. I mean, we've got it all age groups of people. You see, we want you to connect to a Bible study on campus. Why? Well, first of all, because you're already here. You don't have to get up and go anywhere. You're already here. Your car's already parked. You're already on the campus. We're under one roof. You're going to build relationships you're going to make great friends, and you're gonna learn how to do the one another's, to spur one another on to good works, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to serve one another. All of those things come in the context of being involved in a smaller group. I like to think that Sherwood is a big church that thinks small, that we think about how to get people engaged on a more intimate level so that you get connected. John 15 which we've been in on Sunday nights in verse 8 says my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples so in John's gospel Jesus is talking about our lifestyle and six times in verse 8 he says we're to bear fruit to bear fruit to bear more fruit to bear much fruit now how do we bear fruit We abide in Christ. That's intimacy, our relationship with Christ. And we're not individual branches hanging out there on our own. We are connected to the vine. And we're engrafted into the vine of Christ. And we grow together. If we're growing together, we're bearing fruit. Our goal is to help you bear much fruit for you to be effective, for you to be energized, for you to be a productive member of the body. And the more you are connected and I'm connected, the more fruit we bear. Lynn Jones in your notes, it says, a Christian's task is to make the Lord Jesus visible, intelligible, and desirable. Now where does fruit show up? I'm glad you asked. Fruit shows up in loving God how we worship. Fruit shows up when we grow together as we're spurring one another on to good works and encouraging one another. Fruit shows up when we serve others rather than saying, how are you serving me? Fruit shows up when we change the world through missions and through evangelism. You see, fruit is internal. We are conformed to the image of Christ. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We, we have a transformed heart, we walk in the spirit. It's internal, but it's also external because a transformed heart leads to a transformed life. Acts 4:29. they prayed that they could proclaim the gospel with boldness. Now, most weeks, the last couple of weeks and following, we're in the fruit of the spirit. That's the internal work of God that gives evidence externally. But you remember in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, they were first called Christians in Antioch. In other words, the fruit showed up. The evidence of Christ in their lives showed up. Number five, praying churches believe God for him possibles. That should not be a strange phrase to you. Praying churches take impossible situations and believe that with God in it, it's a work of God, it's a supernatural thing, and that God can move in situations and in circumstances in ways that nobody else can. God is doing a supernatural work. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 30, because I believe the Spirit leads us to pray great prayers. Acts four thirty. while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled, not just some, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Through the years, we've laid impossible prayer cards across this altar. We've had thousands of requests that have seemed impossible. And an an impossible is when you've tried everything, done everything, thought everything, tried to figure out everything you could, and you've thrown your hands up to God and said, God, there is no way unless you step in that this is going to change. And so we take those kind of things before the Lord. It is evidence of a church that is filled with the Spirit and overflowing with faith, believing that God can and will, at times by His sovereign choosing, step in and do things that we all step back and say, nobody can take credit for that but God. Because God does not share His glory with anybody. William Temple, it's in your notes, says, "'When I pray, coincidences happen, "'and when I do not, they don't.'" Here's what a praying church will see. A praying church will see changed lives. A praying church will see people coming to Christ in increasing numbers. A praying church will see prodigals come home that have been long in the pigpen of sin. A praying church will see marriages restored. A praying church will see bondage broken. A praying church will see revival. Evan Roberts was asked the secret of the Welsh revival, and he said, There is no secret. Ask, and you shall receive. Tom Elliff and I were talking about this message uh, this week, and I was running some ideas past him. He said, You know, Michael, this is a strange illustration to use for what you're talking about but he said just picture an atomic bomb he said when an atomic bomb explodes all energy from that bomb goes straight up and then that energy when it hits that mushroom cloud spreads out he said when your church prays then what happens is all the energy of the church goes up to God and then the influence of the hand of God goes out over the church and throughout the community. We wanna be a church that the energy of this church can go up in praying and believing God for great things for this community, for great things for our homes, for our schools, for our businesses, for this region that nobody can take credit for it except that God did it. Number six, praying churches walk in the power of the Spirit. Jesus promised his disciples his peace, his Spirit, prayer in his name, and his abiding presence. Acts 4.31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Prayer is the secret to power. Prayer is the secret of every revival. Praying churches walk in the power of the Spirit. You see, we will not pray, and we will not love God, and we will not grow together, and we will not serve others, and we will not change the world in our flesh. It's a partnership with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit filling our hearts and our lives in such a way that what we do is empowered by Him, not by us just trying harder to do better and to be better. It's interesting when you study the book of Acts, they didn't pray to be filled, they were filled. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. What do I have to do to be filled with the Spirit? I have to be right with God. Not only in a relationship with God, but in fellowship with God. And if I am filled with the Spirit, then how I act toward other people in loving God, in growing together, in serving others, and in changing a lost world is going to show up. It'll be evident when I'm walking in fullness. It'll be evident when I'm not walking in fullness. What were they needing the filling of the Holy Spirit for? To do the work of God. The Bible says they prayed, and the place where they prayed was shaken. This is a reference to God's active presence. That God's presence is so real in a church that you can cut it with a knife. It's thick. You know that it's there. God is shaking and God is moving on us and in us and through us. And a praying church walking in the power of the Holy Spirit will have the presence of God in a manifest way. I'm not talking about Weirdness. I'm just talking about the fact that when you walk onto the campus you know that God has already been here. That he is already among us and he is waiting to work. And we don't ask, I wonder if God is going to do something today. We know that God is going to do something because of a prayer environment and the power of the Holy Spirit that those two working together and us cooperating with God, God is going to do something we didn't expect that day and he's going to get glory out of it. You see, an awareness of God's presence will prompt you to worship God in spirit and in truth. You see, sometimes it's easy to worship God in spirit, but we don't worship God in truth. Sometimes it's easy to worship God in truth, but we don't worship God in spirit. Spirit and truth give us balance. If you just worship God in spirit, you may get real excited, but not walk a straight line. If you just worship God in truth, you may have just dry, dead orthodoxy, but no joy and no power. Worship is a combination of a balance of worshiping God in spirit and truth, which means When I worship, it gives me a hunger and an appetite for the Word of God. I remember when I went to uh, the church in uh, Oklahoma to pastor, and uh, I asked the chairman of the pulpit committee, I said, explain your worship service to me. He said, well, you explain to me what you think worship is. I said, well, worship, the worship aspect of a service is to whet the appetite for the Word of God. It it is the appetizer that gets you ready for the entree, the meat of the Word of God. It it is what gets your taste buds going. And he looked at me and he said, man, in our church we sleep through the appetizer. That's not who we want to be. We don't want to be a church with wildfire and we don't want to be a church with no fire. We want to have the fire of the Holy Spirit of God on this church And when that happens, we grow together. We'll grow with one another. When that happens, we'll serve. And we won't wear out people serving in multiple capacities. Everybody will say, what can I do to serve others? And when that happens, when we have the power of the Spirit, we will look at a lost world very differently. Acts 4.32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. Here's what that means. They were so full of Jesus. They were so full of the Spirit that they were willing to do whatever they needed to do that a lost world might hear the gospel. You see, the perceived presence of God is the characteristic of a person, of a class, of a church, of a nation that is walking in revival. And whether this country ever experiences revival or not, a great one more move of God before he comes. Whether this country ever experiences it or not, it's up to us to say, Lord, we're going to position ourselves for it. If not today, maybe tomorrow. But we are going to make ourselves available to you so that the perceived presence of God can happen. Let me tell you what happens when that conviction comes. Now, sometimes we see this in refresh. And in the thickness of the atmosphere of refresh, we will see people moving and coming to the altar and weeping while music is going on or in the middle of a sermon that should be the norm, not the exception. That God is moving at all points in a worship service. That if I come into this room and I'm not ready to hear and to receive what God has for me, I may walk into this room and walk straight to the altar and say, Lord, get my heart right so I can hear what you have to say to me today. Because God has something to say to every one of us today. He has something he wants to speak to our hearts. Whether this is old news Or new news. God has something he wants to say to us. But here's how it will also work. People will drive by this campus and sense that God is doing something and be drawn into a building in the middle of the week and not even knowing why. Because God's spirit will hover. I have watched it happen We have seen it happen here in seasons. Ron Dunn said for eight years at MacArthur Boulevard, it happened every week. I want us to be the kind of church that prays that that happens on a weekly basis and that the Lord adds to our numbers daily those who are being saved. Number seven, praying churches change the world. Praying churches change the world. You'll see the third quote in your notes is by Roland Allen. Evangelism in the New Testament sense is the vocation of every believer. And there is therefore something radically wrong when we imply that personal evangelism is the province of those who have the time and or inclination to take special courses and learn special techniques. Praying church changes the world. You see, missions are a must, not a maybe. And missions begins when the property lines of Sherwood Baptist Church end. When we leave this campus today, we will be on mission all week long. Wherever we go, whoever we meet, whoever we see, we're on mission to be his witnesses. And as God opens doors, we talk to people about a relationship with Christ that has changed our lives. Acts 4, 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. So from a position of prayer, they moved out. They went out and shared the gospel. Can I tell you something? We cannot improve on the model of the first few chapters of Acts. There's there's no better system. There's no better design. No denomination is going to publish a better idea, a better plan, or a better method than praying and waiting and the Spirit coming and God sending us out to speak the truth because thousands were added to the church in those days. Religious people got saved. Lost people came to Christ. They expanded the gospel and took it all throughout the Roman Empire. Prayer ignites an atmosphere of conviction and conversions. It ignites an atmosphere. We want to be the kind of church that there's never a service when somebody doesn't come to Christ. Now for that to happen, several things have to happen. Either we've led somebody to Christ during the week and we bring them with us or they find themselves in this facility and they've seen the love of Christ in us and through us to such a point that when they hear the message that God changes their hearts and they come to Christ and give themselves to Christ. And listen, God can do it with any message, anywhere, anytime. Amen? I still remember the Sunday when Nelson Price preached on tithing and we had 20 people come and join the church that day. Now that's not typically when you think people are going to come. By the way, half of them came to Christ on professional faith. Because somebody had shared the gospel with them that week. So the first time they showed up at church, they heard a message on money. But they still came to Christ because they realized that Christ could change their lives. You cannot divorce prayer and the filling of the Spirit from a burden for the lost. On Sunday nights, we've been in John 14, in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So, for review for those on Sunday night, for new for those that don't make it on Sunday night, here's what he's saying Jesus is saying that if we are in the Father, and when the Spirit comes, we would equal and exceed the work of Jesus in this world. That happened for the first time on the day of Pentecost. More people were saved on the day of Pentecost than in the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. So Jesus promised greater works, works at a higher dimension and a wider level, works and greater works. Now how do we have a church that changes the world? We have to have prayer, we have to believe the promises of God, and we have to rely on God's power. Prayer And promises and power are tied together and all of these greater works are birthed in prayer verse 31 of Acts 4 speaking the Word of God with boldness listen Acts is a bold book I mean it's, it's not a book for timid people because it says what God has done for you you have to share with others You need to go out and talk about what he has done. They didn't just gather in holy huddles. They went out about their business and thousands and thousands of people came to faith in Christ. In verse 33, it says they were giving testimony. By the way, that little phrase in verse 33, giving testimony, means to give back or to repay a debt or to fulfill an obligation. You know what your testimony is and my testimony is? It's an obligation. It's not a multiple choice. To give back, to repay a debt. Why should I share my testimony with someone? Because somebody shared a testimony with me, and that's how I came to know Jesus. It's to give back. It's what saved people do. Verse 33, they gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then number eight, a praying church is used for the glory of God. A praying church is used for the glory of God. That is God's purpose, and that is God's passion. Acts 4 and verse 33, they had great power. Now that great power was to do what God wanted them to do. We cannot do this in our own power. We have great power to do. God didn't say go out there and figure it out. He said be filled with the Spirit and go into all the world and preach the gospel. God's told us what to do and he's given us the power to do it and great grace. Great grace is to be what God has called us to be in this world. I don't know about you, but you don't have to be out in the world very long to know it's a tough world. And there are tough people to deal with. There are some people that are hard to love. And there are some people that are much more grace-needed people. It may be the person sitting by you. I don't know. That's, That's up to you to decide. But great power and great grace go together. And they were of one heart and one soul. And because of that, out of a prayer environment, they gathered to love God. They gathered to grow together, and they began to scatter to serve others. Serving others is not just what we do on this campus, it's how we serve this community, and to change the world. We want a church that exhibits God's grace, the grace of unity, the grace of renunciation of others over ourselves, the grace of fellowship, the grace of generosity. This is who we desire to be. We're not a perfect church. Nobody in this church is perfect. Nobody's ever gonna be perfect until we see Jesus. But this is a design. This is a paradigm. This is a mentality. This is a path that we want to follow. It's taken me 40 years to figure this out. This didn't come out of a book I read. This came with a thought It was actually given to me by my daughter Haley that I sat in the mountains on a study break and wrestled this through with the Lord for two weeks. The staff has heard about it for a while now. They've worked behind the scenes on all of this. But this is who we want to be in the 21st century, in a world that needs clarity. This is clarity. Prayer is the basis for everything. It is the hub under which we operate. It's what keeps the wheels moving. Prayer leads us to love God, to grow together, to serve others, and to change the world. I wanna ask you to pray with me if you would. And in a moment, I'm gonna ask us all to stand The praise team is going to lead us in singing I Surrender All. And the moment we stand, I want to invite you, if you are not a member of Sherwood Baptist Church, and in this service today, or prior to coming in today, God has drawn your heart in and said, this is the place where I need to be as an individual, or this is the place where we need to be as a couple, or as a family. This is the kind of church we want to be a part of. This is who we are. Because you become who you want to be by becoming who you need to be. This is the church that we desire to be. We desire to be the church that if somebody has a need, they call us because they know That everything begins and ends in prayer they know that we will not just say we are praying we will be praying we want to be the church that loves God that worships God we want our worship to be alive and exciting and passionate and full of energy and joy because we bring that with us from our time with the Lord during the week We want to grow together we want to get to know each other in smaller groups so we know needs and hurts and wants and fears where we can be vulnerable with one another now that's a little frightening especially if you're an introvert but hey there ought to be a safe place to talk about life besides a bar and the church ought to be it we want to serve whether it's a community in crisis or need, or whether it's opening a door for a stranger, or greeting somebody in a parking lot, or changing a diaper, whatever it is, that we are a church that serves, and that we are a church that changes the world. By sharing our faith with people outside these walls, and bringing them with us. So here's my invitation, very clear, very simple. If that's the kind of church and you're not a member of Sherwood you may be a member of Bible study but you're not a member of Sherwood or you may have been attending for years but you never joined this church and identified with this church then in a moment we're going to stand and I'm going to ask you to step out on the very first note and come down and find one of these men we're going to be gathered around here and I'm going to ask you to step out and come after we end our invitation time we're going to let you talk to one of our counselors, they're going to help you to get all the information, to explain to you uh, what it means and how to move forward from this. OK? This is step one. This is how to get off a home plate to first base. This is step one, and we want you to take that step with us and become a part of this church family. I believe that there's some of you that need to do that today. So I'm going to pray. And after I say amen, they're going to start singing. And when they start singing, you step out and you come to join this family of faith. And church members, you pray for those that need to come and need to be a part of it, all right? Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that we can show you our love, that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we can serve. You said that the greatest are those who serve that we can change the world by going into all the world and preaching the gospel Lord, draw the net today of people from the front to the back to the sides in the middle of the row at the end of the row wherever they are people today that need to come and be a part of this church this is their discover Sherwood 101 today and so as we enter into this new dimension of understanding who we are, I pray that you draw new people into our fellowship today. In Jesus' name, let's stand. They're singing. You step out and you come right now.